So a dad fail story. I've got a lot of them, um, but I'm gonna go to one of my favorite. Our oldest daughter, Micah, she was just learning how to crawl. I was super excited and we had hardwood floors and she was on all fours, uh, little Micah. I just wanted to help her crawl a little bit so I just kind of gave her a little boost and her head was so much bigger than her body that she just fell face first onto the hardwood floor. It did give her a little bloody lip and I freaked out. But here's the real fail, is that when Brittany got home and saw that she had a fat lip, she was like, what happened to Micah? And I looked her dead in the eyes and was like, I don't know, what happened? And she showed me her face and I was like, oh my gosh, she must have hurt herself. And I didn't come clean at that moment. And then later we were laying in bed and I was literally sweating with conviction for not telling my wife. And so I said, hey Brittany, Actually, I do know what happened to Micah, and I pushed her, and she got a bloody lip, so that was a bad thing. One time, I was looking for my keys uh, on the way to the gym, and I was looking for my gym tag, and I couldn't find it anywhere, so I blamed one of my kids for misplacing my gym tag. And as soon as I got into my car to go to the gym without my gym tag, I realized I had left it in the car the previous day and I had blamed and taken out this lost gym tag on one of my boys. So when I came back from the gym, the first thing I did when I walked in the door is apologize to my son. So my recommendation is uh, don't always blame your kids for things that you lose. I've been a Cubs fan my whole life. My dad was a huge Cubs fan. A couple years ago, when the Cubs were in the World Series, my son was born. Uh, the day after he was born, we were literally in the hospital. I was holding him, and the Cubs finally won the World Series, which was such a huge deal to me. A couple weeks later, I was at church, and uh, someone came up to me, and they were like, congratulations! And I was like, oh, thank you so much. I, you know, I can't believe it. It's been 100 years, and I just can't believe it finally happened. And the lady looked at me, and she was like, about your newborn son. I was like, ah, yes. Yeah, he, he's really great too. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's the second born. <laughs> I love that. He's the second born. I was the second born. Anybody here second born? Uh, so uh, I'm thrilled to uh, wish all of you who are in this room and everybody joining us at all of our campuses and uh, online uh, a really rich Father's Day, and I hope God meets you in it, whatever all it means or holds for you. Uh, the set that is behind me is actually part of our summer camp for Menlo kids, and it's a reminder that children matter to God and they matter to us. And this weekend is huge. I believe that this weekend may be literally the most life-changing weekend that we've ever had as a church. We're partnering with Compassion International and we're going to invite anybody who wants to this weekend to change the life of a poverty-threatened child uh, by becoming that child's sponsor and giving that little child hope in the name of Jesus. And I think that would always be an incredibly meaningful thing. Uh, but there's one reason why this weekend is so deeply meaningful to me personally is because on Sunday morning, just almost three weeks ago, uh, our daughter, Laura, and her husband, Zach, gave birth to their first child, our first grandchild. And his name is Chance Turner. And here's his picture. 
And he is more beautiful than our own children were when they were born, uh, let alone all of your children. Uh, I recognize he's only an ordinary baby, and just because he's ours does not mean that he will be unusually spiritually sensitive. But here's a picture of Chance praying. He just read through a couple of psalms in that moment, and, and uh, he was just deep in spiritual thought. We don't expect anything unusual about his gifts, although his dad, who loves athletics, was quite excited about his wingspan. Uh, and it does seem to be extraordinarily large. Uh, one more. Uh, we were actually there when the Warriors won the championship game, and I asked Chance what he thought of the game. Uh, so, remarkable little guy. Uh, I know, I know, I know. Just one life in a world of 7.6 billion lives. I know. But he's connected, you know, to me. Uh, the delivery was real traumatic, as it sometimes is, and he was not able to get breathing going when he came out. And I won't go into any details except to say that Nancy and Zach, who were in the room at that moment, were quite afraid that that little guy was not going to make it. And those early moments were about the worst of our lives. But there were medical teams that went to immediate work on him in the intensive care unit. And we had our life group and other people praying like crazy. And now he's home with his mom and his dad. And I was babysitting him last night. And the future looks real, real bright. And if I would have known how good this grandparenting thing is, I would have skipped having kids and gone right to grandkids. <laughs> I've always thought that grandparents who rave about their grandchildren are kind of obnoxious, and now I am one of them. Uh, those first moments were a reminder of both how precious and how precarious this mystery of life is. And when that little life belongs to you, and that little life is in trouble, and somebody says, I can do something to help this child, there are no words to express what, what a debt the heart owes. And then I think, what does every child born in this world mean to God, who is called our Father, and whatever kind of earthly father you had, that is a remarkable statement to make about the creator of all things. And that's part of what Jesus came to show us, what do children mean to God. We're told one time people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but his disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on them and blessed them to show that God cares about every child infinitely more than I care about this new little child. And so followers of Jesus from the beginning became known for their care of children. It was actually followers of Jesus who invented orphanages and invented the idea of godparents who would take care of children if their biological parents died and through whom orphanages began. And eventually, the dream of universal literacy and education happened. That was all through the movement of Jesus. And now it's our turn to bless children. Recently, a group of us from Menlo joined some other church leaders and a team from Compassion International, and we went to Peru to visit some child development programs there. And I got to meet the little girl that Nancy and I are sponsoring. 
Um, she is not quite four years old, and she was wearing little sparkly shoes, and her formal name is Gracie, but she's called Beja Lee, and this is her. And she loves Mickey Mouse, and she loves stickers, she loves to blow bubbles, and uh, she loves to learn songs and, and go home and sing them. And I got to visit this tiny little house where she lives. That's where she lives. And hold her in my arms with her mom and dad. And her dad said he was headed down a real bad path in his life. And then their son was real sick. And a group of people from a church got together to pray for them. And his son was healed. And, and her dad gave his heart to Jesus. And we got to pray together. And they're so grateful for our church, guys. And I thought... A lot of times, I'm not sure about what the outcome of my actions will be, and I often don't even know how much my own ego is mixed up in uh, even the best things I try to do. But I know that what Nancy and I are doing for little Beja Lee for $38 a month will change that little life. And whatever else I might get wrong, I know a little girl a continent away will be blessed because... We lived, and because of what we're doing. And we're sharing that opportunity today with anybody at our church, every campus, who would like to be a part of that movement that Jesus began 2,000 years ago when he said, no, let the little children come to me and put his hands on them and took them into his arms and he blessed them. And today we get to do that. Now, I want to root this message in one story in particular from the Bible. We've been looking at different characters where God's strength is made perfect in weakness. Uh, this is one of many stories in the Bible that shows God's heart for children in need. A woman whose name we do not know was in mortal trouble. Her husband was dead. She's a widow. And she's left with his debts and with their two boys. Now, in the ancient world, very often, the children of the poor could be sold into slavery in order to pay off debts. And, of course, slavery remains an enormous problem in our day for the poor. Her creditor is on his way to collect her two sons. So imagine the heart of a mom who's about to lose the two little boys that she loves. And a prophet named Elisha is her last hope. Her husband had actually been in a company of prophets, had worked with Elisha. But she knows Elisha's a real busy guy. He's got a lot of concerns. And the text says that she cries out to him. The idea is this is the desperate plea of a frantic mom. And she asks for his help, and then she waits for the words that will mean either life or death for her two boys. Then Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? And then she knows, how can I help you? And I thought I'd like to offer that question, again, every campus, for every one of us this weekend, how can I help? We're calling this weekend Compassion Moves. And part of why we're doing that is to remind ourselves that compassion doesn't just feel, it acts, it initiates, it helps, it moves. You know, one of the dangers is I can look at the picture of a hungry child, and because I'm a feeler, I can give myself credit for being compassionate because I feel pity, but then forget I haven't actually done anything to be helpful for that little child. Feeling badly about a problem doesn't solve it. And of course, I can't solve the problems of every child, but I can help one. You can't solve the problems of every child. 7.6 billion people in our world get over, but you can help one. 
And if everybody helped one child, pretty soon every child would be helped. And we believe this as a church. We believe God loves children. So Elisha asks her, what do you have in the house? And this widow replies, all she has is a small jar of olive oil. Now, olive oil in the ancient world was an important commodity. It could be sold. It was kind of like a form of money, a currency. And Elisha says, okay, we can work with that. And he tells her, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. And then I love this little direction, don't ask for just a few. Now, the idea is Elisha is telling her, however many jars you bring to God, that's how many jars God is going to fill up with oil to keep you and your little boys alive. Bring God a few jars, he will fill a few jars. Bring God a lot of jars, he will bring a lot. of. Don't ask for just a few. This is an exercise in faith. God, I don't have much, but you do. And I'm not asking for me today. I'm asking for these children. Would you take my little and make much? Don't ask for just a few. Go get some jars and don't ask for just a few. So she's a, she's a woman on a mission. She goes to every house in her village. She knocks on every door. Word starts to spread about this crazy lady collecting jars. She doesn't care. She's going to wear everybody down. And, and she takes all of those jars. Her boys have helped her, and she brings them into her house, and she closes the door, as Elisha said. And she's got... Uh, this one little jar of olive oil, and she's got this empty jar that she's borrowed, and, and she pours olive oil into the empty jar until it's full, and then she looks at the original jar, and it's still full. Only God. And her boys are watching. Let's try it with another jar, Mom. And they do. Same thing. Pretty soon, they're just like an assembly line, that little family. They keep bringing the jars, and she keeps filling them up, and they corner the olive oil market, and she pays off her debts, and she raises her boys, and she lives to be an old woman. She lives in dignity and gratitude and generosity and love. And I'll tell you what, I'll bet you when Elisha was an old, old man, those two boys were all grown up. I'll bet he was really glad he asked that question. What can I do to help? He might have had a lot of regrets, every human being does, but I'll bet you helping those two little boys was not one of them. So here's the opportunity for every one of us. Out of your resources, $38 a month, that's about a dollar a day, to help release a child from poverty in Jesus' name. And then pray great bold, regular, heartfelt prayers for God to pour out many, many blessings on that child that you are sponsoring. Don't ask for just a few. How can I help? Give and pray. God, pour out many blessings. Don't ask for just a few. Now, I know when we're talking about a financial deal like this, an investment, and we're inviting everybody. We've not done something like this before. We're inviting everybody to give, and this is not an our church deal, like over and above what you give to our church, over and above what our church does for outreach and mission to sponsor children. Uh, we don't want to just have good intentions, but we actually want to make a difference. So I want to walk through why we felt like Compassion International would be such a good partner. Uh, 
for one reason, uh, they're very holistic when it comes to children. The Bible says this about Jesus' development. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God and man. And compassion actually deliberately invests in and tracks the development of children in precisely those four areas. Took that right out of Scripture. Intellectual development, physical development, relational social development, and spiritual development. And then Compassion International is church-based. We love the local church. We believe in it. That's what we are. When you visit a child development clinic, any place in the world where Compassion has one, you don't see the brand Compassion International there. The heroes are the local church. Their child development clinics that work with kids are run mostly by amazing volunteers from local churches. And we love partnering with an organization that champions and that leverages churches. And then uh, their research affirmed. There's a guy named Bruce Whitek, who's an economist at the University of San Francisco. He and a research team did a very extensive study of, of the impact of child sponsorship. And they found the results so positive that it was written up in the leading journal of political economics and became a cover story in Christianity Today. The findings were so striking that when he began to analyze the numbers, Bruce said, you could beat this data senseless, and it was incapable of showing anything other than extremely large and statistically significant impacts on occasional educational outcomes for sponsored children. So in education and, and these other areas, uh, very high impact, and the organization that Bruce studied turns out to have been Compassion International. And then they're Jesus-centered. Their mission is not to be a relief organization. They are a discipleship organization. They want to release children from poverty in Jesus' name, and they help children come to know and love Jesus. And then uh, they are family-friendly. In fact, in our children's ministry, Menlo Kids, uh, we're going to be sponsoring two children in uh, Peru. Uh, that's Leslie on the left, and that's Jerome on the right, and Gary Lindsay in the middle, who heads up our Mellow Kids ministry. A lot of families in the Bay Area worry a lot about money and materialism and how that will impact our kids. What a great adventure if every family in our church said, we're going to add another child in poverty that our children will write to and learn about and help and pray for. And we thought for our church, but also for every family, what a great thing that would be. I also thought it'd be helpful for you to hear about the perspective of somebody who has seen the results of child sponsorship firsthand. So I'm going to bring up our new head of outreach and missions, Dave Shields. Dave, come on up. Uh, Dave has just recently joined our team. I met him years ago in the Philippines where uh, in Cebu, he was like the pastor for the whole city. Um, I was just amazed at his energy. And so the chance that we had to get him to work at our church has just been huge. Would you give him an enormous Menlo welcome? It's great to be here. Um, so I have been looking forward to all of you getting to meet Dave. You are going to love him. He's going to bring so much to our church. Dave, first, just say a word about your family. I think their picture's coming up. And what brought uh, you guys to Menlo? Yeah, I'm the fourth best-looking person in my family. Uh, that's my beautiful bride, uh, Kimberly. My sons, Joshua and Damascus, were a missionary family, having been blessed to spend six years in Kenya. Uh, we started a children's program there that had a, a sponsorship side to it. 
And then we spent six years in the Philippines working alongside different partners combating human trafficking. Hmm. Recently moved back to the East Bay to give our boys a good launch pad as they finish up their high school years and send them off as missionaries into college. And uh, so we've been in the East Bay and then uh, we, this opportunity was presented to me, which I kind of laughed at at first because I thought there's no way um, I'm comfortable where I'm at serving in my local church and but I couldn't get the idea out of my head. And so I called the staff member that I knew on staff here and I said, hey, I don't wanna waste anybody's time, but I have to put my resume in just to get it out of my head, but don't call me, I don't want the job. And of course they called me and then a couple of phone interviews uh, later, I kept saying the same thing, I'm, I'm not interested in moving, but I'll talk missions with you all day. And then eventually the Lord grabbed my heart and said, this is your spot. This was meant for you. And so I leaned into it and praise the Lord, I'm with you. Well, and no kidding. Um, that first conversation that we had here, Dave had a strong a call to be a part of our church, I think, as I have seen. And it was just thrilling to me. Um, now, uh, we're learning about child sponsorship. You've had uh, the opportunity to look at it from a unique perspective. So tell us about that. Yeah. First in Kenya, we established a children's organization that had a sponsorship avenue to it. And so while being a pastor on the ground, I wasn't allowed to actually sponsor a child while we were living there because it would have shown favoritism and it wouldn't have, it would have been bad. So I had a lot of interactions with kids who were being sponsored from people overseas and, and based on the compassion model. And one of the happiest days of my life was when we were actually um, when we left Kenya to come back home for a time and the, and the week that we left, I, I told Kimberly, we get to sponsor somebody and we got to sign up and sponsor little Mary who's now finishing her high school education in Kenya. I spent some time in the Philippines where I was an affiliate pastor to a compassion project, uh, the development center for kids. And so I got to actually see the effects of life change based on the compassion model. So there's something unique about the compassion model. John said it, it's a discipleship organization. There's something powerful mm -hmm. about releasing kids from vulnerability based on education, discipleship by somebody that loves them and knows them. Each one of these children are known by name, not only by their sponsor, but by pastors on the ground that follow up with them and their family. And so I've seen these kids on the verge of their light dying out, and then someone reaches out, they get a letter from overseas, and they says, to Dave, or to Mary, or to Luz, or to Chance, or to somebody, and their eyes light up, and they get hope again, and there's power in that. Mm. It's incredible. I can't think of no better method for missions among children than doing child sponsorship. And Dave, uh, our church has uh, kind of a history of concern about the world, global awareness, mission outreach involvement that goes back many, many, many decades. But we've never done something like this before, a project where we're inviting hundreds, you know, if God allows thousands of people uh, to be involved in this together. Why does it help a church for us all to do something like this together? Yeah, that's a great question. Any act of sacrifice and generosity for the sake of someone else helps me as a Christ follower become more like Christ. There's some spiritual formation that happens when I become uncomfortable for the sake of someone else's well-being, whether that's local or global or what have you. Now, us as a community of faith, as families gather together in Jesus' name, when we agree to take this step together, 
what a powerful tool it is to not only draw our individual hearts closer to Christ, but draw our collective hearts together as a community. It's almost as if we're taking communion together in a missional act. It's powerful, it's life-changing, not only for the children and their families, but for me as an individual and for us as a community. I, I'm unapologetic where in the body of Christ, you know, some are the mouth and uh, some are the hands and feet and I'm the elbow. I'm just gonna nudge you a little <laughs> bit. And I'm gonna say, let's do it together. Let's just, let's not put it off another week. Let's not think of another reason not to do it. Anyone can think of a reason not to do it. I'm gonna give you one really good reason to do it because we're all doing it. Like peer pressure gets a bad rap sometimes. This is a good group of peers to follow this mm. pressure. Let's step out together and see our hearts drawn up into Christ and see our lives drawn in together as we're going out serving kids. So can we all make Dave really glad that he left that familiar, comfortable place and came to work with us because yeah. we're so glad. That's, That's great. That's just perfect. That's just perfect. All right, guys. So here's the invitation. Uh, we have a packet describing every child uh, that we would love to sponsor, and we've got packets uh, at every one of our campuses, wherever you are. And I was thinking about this. It's Father's Day. What's the stereotypical Father's Day gift? It's a tie. Nobody wants a tie. I'm wearing a tie just in honor of Father's Day. I got this to give to my dad. And Nancy said to me, you can't give that tie to your dad. It's too ugly. And so I asked, what should I do with it? And she said, you wear it. So I'm doing this just as a reminder to say, uh, instead of a tie, uh, for about that same price, once a month, you can give the gift of life and blessing to a child. Um, now, maybe you're already sponsoring a child, and this weekend can just be a time for you to pray and ask God to bless your child. But maybe this is your time uh, to be a blessing to somebody else. And here's how you do that. Pick up a packet, and there's a little card, and you can tear that off uh, and fill it out. You can fill out your contact information and then how it is that you want to sponsor, how you want to pay for that child. And um, you can put that in an envelope and leave it with Compassion International Volunteers. We have folks here at every campus. Um, you can take the rest of the packet home, but don't take a packet home if you haven't filled out and torn off that little section, because if you do that, that's the only packet we have for that child, and that child won't get a sponsor. Um, when you go to look for a child, don't overthink it. I'm one of those people that when I go to the Cheesecake Factory, I feel like I have to obsess over every one of the 5,000 items on the menu. And uh, you can be that way. Don't bother to look for the child that's the prettiest or the neediest or the smartest. Just say a quick prayer. Ask God to guide you to the right child. And then select the child quickly and trust that God has led you to just the right one. And I'll give you one more reason uh, why you might want to do this this weekend, because children matter to God. And no, as you consider this, uh, it's not just about the money. That's a big part of it, but it's not just about that. When we were in Peru, we talked to an adult who had been a compassion child and is now recognized by the UN for his humanitarian work. And he said that for compassion kids like him when he was growing up, their best days, their absolutely best days, were the days when they got a letter from their sponsor. He said that just like in the U.S., we will sometimes live vicariously through heroes like Steph Curry or something, compassion children will often similarly identify with their sponsor. He said they would often speculate on whether their sponsor might be a TV celebrity back in the U.S. or something. And it was sobering to me because 
We'd sponsored children before as a family, but I did not realize what an impact writing letters and sending little gifts and having a personal relationship with that child can make. And I do this time. That's more than just a picture on a refrigerator. And when I went to the church, we, we helped to uh, fund a church that was being built there. And they gave me a big straw hat and honor the occasion. And I brought it back to Bejali and I put it on. And I said to her, Te gusta mi sombrero? Because I knew that she would love it. And she said, No. And I said, No, te gusta mi sombrero? No, she hated my sombrero. Yo también. Mi sombrero es muy malo. Malo sombrero, malo. Uh, there is something so precious in knowing what a child likes and what a child doesn't like because it just flows from their heart. When I wore that sombrero, she started to cry. When I took it off, she smiled. You can make a child smile. You can make God smile. Today, there's a little boy an hour away in San Francisco that I love, and I get to be a part of his life. Today, there's a little girl in the continent in Peru that I love, and I get to be a part of that little girl's life. I'll get a lot of stuff wrong, but when that little girl grows up, there's a real good chance she's going to be really happy I was alive. I was thinking about this, gang. You know, people might ask you sometimes, are you glad you went to church today? And I don't know how you usually might respond to that, but right now, maybe in Peru or the DR or someplace, there's a little child who has it pretty rough. And someday when they're an old man or an old woman, they will thank God that you went to church today. You can do that. So I'm going to pray right now, and then at every campus, I'm going to turn it over to the campus pastor, and when your campus pastor says to move, you move. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for every one of us that we would have hearts wide open to your direction. I pray for little children right now whose futures may look quite bleak and might be filled with hope and love that they otherwise would not know through us. Thank you, God. I know we're a generous church. I know we're a blessed church. God, would you call us now to generosity in a way that could change the life of a child and that could change us too and change our families and change our church. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.